friends, Paul Ward here and welcome to another edition of Farm Talk. I'm so excited today. We're going to be talking about making beer here in Ventura County and all that goes into it. We have a very special guest, Molly Engelhart with Soa Heart Farms. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you for having me or coming here and being here to have this conversation. Absolutely. And uh, of course, we want to thank our sponsors, the Escrow Hub and the Money Store. So uh, tell us, Molly, how did you get into uh, making hops or growing hops? Because it's not really a crop that you think about when you think about Ventura County. No, it is not. Um, I think there's only two hop yards in Southern California, one here in Ventura County and one in San Diego and all the rest of it. And one more in California and then the rest is in Washington, Oregon. Um, how did I get into it? So. Everything in my life was like at a roundabout way that was perfect. I ended up where I was meant to be at the perfect time, but we were trying to get a liquor license for one of my restaurants and Echo Park was considered a not ideal location to give out more liquor licenses because there was already a lot. And so we realized that if we wanted to have brand consistency and serve alcohol at all of our restaurants, we could make a 75, which is a brew pub, which also would allow you to serve hard alcohol. and so we taught ourselves to brew beer, me, my brewer, Kim, and my brother-in-law from my first marriage, Trevor. Every Monday, we would have family fun day at my house in Granada Hills, and we taught ourselves to brew beer. And then we applied for the 75 license, and Trevor flew to China and bought some equipment. And like we just like really winged it and learned, our, learned how to brew beer in order to be able to have brand consistency among all the restaurants. But then everything I do is organic and there's literally like not a lot of organic hops around. I so I start doing the research and we had just bought this farm in 2018 and we'd only been brewing for a year and we were having a really hard time. So we had the conversation of maybe we should start a hop yard. And mm -hmm. I started to do a bunch of research and realized that California used to be a huge hop growing region, not exactly right here in Ventura, but in Napa mm -hmm. and in other regions that have similar weather to here, it was big hop um, growing areas. And this is back when you needed labor mm -hmm. in order to pick the hops. And so they had to be close to cities. Right. So in Napa and Vacaville was close to Sacramento or San Francisco and other places they were growing hops. And as they mechanicalized the way that we pick the hops, mm -hmm they were able to get cheaper land further away in less harsh climates that could grow more different varieties of hops because hops originally come from England and Ireland and places that it's much cooler and foggier than it is or used to be. Now it's pretty, I heard last right. week it was like crazy hot over there right. too. But so we started uh, in 2018, we bought the binds. We had no idea what we were doing. We bought the binds before I even had this place closed escrow. <laughs> Thank God it closed escrow. And we put them in pots the first year because we didn't have the land like put together. And we grew them for one year in pots. And then we put them, uh, we like called everywhere. And um, Soma Pacific was like, I guess we could try to build a hop yard for you. We've never done it before. Right. And there are, there's tall poles, right? They're I mean, real they, they, 24 foot poles. Yeah, they're very tall. Very I mean, tall. And um, actually, because we're organic, we couldn't use treated poles. And so actually, four years later, all the poles actually, we had to put in all new poles. So I used a repurposed um, 
concrete light posts this time. Oh, wow. And so they won't rot, but okay. they're also compliant with my organic certification because right. they're not like creatine right. or whatever they treat stuff with from aldehyde. And just so to let our listeners and watchers know, you own a chain of restaurants called I own the Sage a, Vegan Bistro. Yeah, it's a small chain of restaurants in Los Angeles, uh, Agora Hills, Culver City, Echo Park, Pasadena. I'm the chef and mm -hmm. founder. And um, that's actually how I got into farming is I realized that food waste was the problem. Mm -hmm. As a vegan, I thought cow farts was the problem. I got corrected <laughs> and realized that actually cow farts are not the problem. And food, uh, waste. food waste is the really big, methane is the worst thing that we're doing in the environment. And so I wanted to shift um, all the food waste from my restaurants and make it into soil. So that's why I bought um, this place right. and started farming. Right. And so all of the food waste comes from your restaurants back to your 18 acre farm. Yep. And is Gets tur mixed. turned into a mulch, yeah. right? And mixed with um, cow poop and um, bedding from the chickens and everything like that and gets turned into compost in windrows or we also have a big 50-foot vermicompost um, composter and we turn it into um, soil right. and so rather than being methane in the environment it is carbon sequestered it's feeding soil I haven't bought any fertilizers in three years we're fully the only input that I would say that we buy would be hay to feed our animals. Mm -hmm. I wish we had acres and acres of land, but it's California who can afford that. Right, <laughs> right. And so, so your, your, your mulch that you're creating, your yep. compost that you're creating, you're using a lot less water than the average farmer in the area. Yes. And growing a lot more. Yes, actually you know this because you helped me with one half of this deal, but I bought a property just down the street that's almost the exact same acreage. So I got to present to their water bills and how much they were spending and how much they were making. So for using double the water I was using, they were selling about between fourteen and $25,000 of produce a year. Mm -hmm. And I'm using half the water and we did about $431,000 in produce last year. That's incredible. So we're using every bit of space. If we have avocado trees, then there's kale growing in the middle, cabbage growing in the middle, tomatoes growing in the middle, jalapenos growing in the middle. So we, the whole fence line is an, a vineyard. We just harvested 3,000 pounds of grapes today, but they don't actually take up any acreage. It's right. only All on the fence. the fence line. And you got those grapevines for free from some farm <laughs> that was shutting down in the desert. Half of so. our grapevines, yeah, we did <clears throat> get from a desert, a, a place in the desert where they were going to bulldoze them to build um, Airbnbs. And so I, I mean, it wasn't free cause we had to go dig them all up and sure. bring them here. But yeah, I did get adult grapevines. Um, those are the second ones we put in, but the first ones we put in around the fence line. Um, so yeah, I'm very interested in pushing the limits of what we can grow. Mm -hmm. Um, of course there's a view out there that we need GMO, we need monocropping and that's how we're going to feed the world. Right. And I'm of the belief that more people on land growing food in this way is mm -hmm. how we can feed the world. And just to clarify for our listeners, what is GMO and what is monocropping? Oh, so GMO is a genetically modified organism. So it's where we basically crack the code of life and we t say this is the genome. And then we're like, okay, and this is the genome of a rat or a fish or whatever and we're if we put this in there this little part it'll make it not wilt as fast it'll make it more heat resistant it'll make it travel better right and so some of our primary crops 
uh, that we all eat very much have been genetically modified. And we've also genetically modified them to be able to spray um, chemicals on them. Right. And, you know, I'm a proponent of eating food uh, without chemicals. And I'm not, I have no like didactic position, like everybody should do what I'm doing. I'm just, that's what I'm committed to. Um, And so I think that if we put more people on more small farms with high diversity, um, high biodiversity and bureaucracy and the government can get out of the way, Mm -hmm. we can produce a lot of food, like massive amounts more food than just doing uh, monocropping, which you asked to explain, with just one thing. Right. And so even our hops in the early <laughs> years, hops grow for 25 years before they have to be replanted. So they're an awesome crop for mm-hmm. regeneration because the concepts of regeneration are that you want the soil to be um, replenished. You want to give more than you're taking. Mm-hmm. And so one is don't disturb the soil, no telling and plowing. Right. Keep the soil covered because the soil covered is... The mother is modest. It went, there's always more life under in a cup. If you take up a piece of plastic or a rock or pull up some thick sod, you'll see a lot of life underneath it, right? right. Your soil is living, living. As opposed to the neighbors whose soil is not dead. living. Yeah. But 25% of all the biodiversity on the planet is below the, the, the plant on the surface, right? Is wow. below that. And so if you think about, imagine a, a coral reef. Right. If we just plowed a coral reef and then put the water back and threw some extra coral in there and was like, <laughs> throw some nitrogen on there, it's fine. Well, that's what we're doing, but we just can't see it. Right. And so we don't think about that. So with the hops in the early years, it's a lot of acreage. So we grew corn in between them. We grew all types of stuff. We grew beans, we grew cover crops. And now there's a permanent cover crop that keeps the aisleways um, covered and it's a desert mix of you know, drought resistant grasses. Right. And then we run the sheep in there. Okay. And so we bring <coughs> the sheep in, the sheep eat the bottoms of the hops, they eat the grass, they poop, they pee, they fertilize it, they, you know, do the bovine thing where they stimulate the seed growth right. in the top two inches of soil. And then we move them out and move them somewhere else. And they don't in, eat the vine to where it kills the top? They part? don't. So we wait till the vine is like up a certain height mm-hmm. and then we let them come in and eat the shoots that are coming off because that has it focus the energy upward. Right. And in commercial hops, they often put like a plastic barrier and weed whack around it. Sure. Um, the sheeps are doing the same thing, mm-hmm. but they are also fertilizing right. and all of that. So that's excellent. And integrated, uh, that's another principle of regenerative agriculture is integrating the bovine, that Mm -hmm. grazing animals. We've overgrazed, so sometimes it has a bad name, but if you do what we call regenerative or uh, mob grazing or holistic planned grazing, which is a very short amount of time on a small area Mm -hmm. and then move them and move them and move them, you're kind of redoing what the buffalo did. So they would poop, pee, stomp, eat about 50%, leave about 50% stomped and then go on. That is the best way to grow soil. And so we have these little tractors that are basically gates put together with wheels on them. And we push like four or five sheep down the rows, clean up all the veggies, get it all cleaned up, 
fertilize, and then get it ready to plant the row again. So it's our baby version of holistic planned grazing. That's great. So no Roundup at your place. Never. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that I'm about 50% me and 50% the microbiology inside of me. Right. And although I don't have a shikimate pathway, <laughs> all of that microbiology inside of me does. And how Roundup works is it kills the shikimate pathway. Sure. And I believe that my immune system foundationally starts in my gut. Yep. And if you look at healthy soil and you look at um, a healthy gut, there's like a 75% overlap in microbiology. Mm -hmm. So it's obvious that we were meant to eat of the earth of healthy soil to right. replenish that um, microbiology. Very cool. So how does your, getting back to the hops. Sorry, I don't no, digress. No, no, it's all very exciting. <laughs> um, getting back to the hops, how, uh, how is your harvest doing? I mean, I mean it's, imagine they're just flourishing from the healthy soil and. So we've have, we are growing <clears throat> four varieties and two of the varieties are totally flourishing and two probably this is not the ideal heat. So we may okay. swap them out. Too hot, too cold? I think it's too hot. Too hot. Um, Cascade is our is our superstar and we really love that Cascade is our superstar because it's it's for aroma and for bittering. So we can use it in a lot of different ways. Okay. And we actually grow enough for our brewery to use it all year long okay. and for multiple other uh, breweries like here in Ventura County, Poseidon, and Petal and Pints, and then just right over the hill, um, Talco, and then many in LA. So you're selling your hops to other local beer breweries, breweries that want to make a wet hop beer, want to sure. make a local hop organic beer. And so that is really exciting. In the beginning, we didn't have enough, so we were a little like, right. nobody can share. But right. now we're like putting it on the internet, inviting people. And if you are a brewery, you can come out and pick with us and we give you a discount if you help do that. Cause it oh, is labor, cool. even with the equipment, which sure. is expensive, it's still labor intensive. So you're getting free labor from local <laughs> beer makers. If they come help harvest. They get a discount on their hops. Very cool. And are you using some of your other um, fruits that you're growing in your beers? Oh yeah, we're doing all types of fun. Uh, we have a carob stout from carob that we're growing. We did a sour squeeze with kumquats wow. uh, in it. We have the kiss the ground beer that has oranges and lemon verbena from the farm and lemons. I think almost all of our beers have some kind of citrus from the farm. Right. It wouldn't be right to have a beer without <laughs> citrus because right. we have so much of that. Uh, we have a natural cola that uses the coffee cherries from myself and from Lisa, who you've also uh, interviewed before. Local coffee grower. Lo yep. Local coffee grower. And I don't have as much coffee as her, but I have a little. So we have a natural cola that uses those coffee cherries. And then we have kombucha that uses, you know, we have a whole line of kombucha and seltzers that use other fruits. We are doing an apricot and peach uh, seltzer right now. And uh, yeah, we always have a couple seasonals on and we have a couple foundational ones that use things that we have. Oh, we do a persimmons and pumpkin beer in oh, the very, fall time. Oh, very cool. So now, do you have enough hops to keep you good for 12 months? Yes, we do. Awesome. And so uh, that's been great. And we just are finishing up harvest. We've been harvesting for seven days of the Cascade. And then Nugget is the other variety that's really done well here. And that is going to be another couple weeks until it's finished. And so it's still hanging. It's still, it, it doesn't look as grandiose as the uh, Cascade does, but it's still uh, really good. And we only use it in three varieties and it is doing better uh, then the Mount Hood just never took off here and the Sentinel as well did it just did it do okay, good. So here. the hops that you're growing, is there a certain like type of IPA that's kind of 
being successful or what, what kind of beers? Um, there's all different kinds of beers that people are making with it, but right. people love to do uh, IPAs with the very hoppy beers. And right. because ours can be used for aroma or bittering, uh, people are using it all different styles of beer from hazy IPAs to more like lagers and they're being used in many different uh, styles. Right. And so, and then the really common thing that so many breweries are doing that's really special is right now at this time of year, they're doing the wet hop beers. So in a couple, like a month from now, you'll be able to go to Poseidon and get this beer that will only be available because a wet hop beer, you have to put the hops in within 48 hours of it being harvested. So it's very hard for breweries to do that unless you live close to a hop yard. And sure. so this year there's 10 or 11 breweries doing a wet hop beer with our uh, hop. So in like if you were in a month go to Hoposide, you'll be able to see that they have this wet hop beer. And they won an award the first year they did our wet hop beer uh, with it. So everybody's been very, very happy with our hops uh, that has bought it. That's awesome. Do you see yourself growing more, putting more acreage in, in hops production or you're kind of maxed out with everything else you've got going on? Um, <laughs> I think that we have enough if I would like to put some rows. I think that we could do more rows in between the rows. Mm -hmm. uh, but Mixed with other crops? Like, well, right now the rows are 15 feet, and I think we could do seven foot rows and still be able to get a mower in there and oh, stuff wow. like that and put extra posts in. Right. So I may condense and do hot, more high-density planting right. where we already are, but putting in a hop yard is pretty expensive. Sure. and the labor, uh, I, this is not a money-making venture, let's say, as gotcha. far as um, the overall. I think that overall, it's a, it's an advertising thing. We're making really great hops. We're making really great beer. And the brewery is a money-making thing. And the farm overall is. But hops is a passion project. Right. And it's hopefully going to be break-even. But it's, gotcha. it is still labor-intensive, even without even with the mechanicalized equipment and the help of the sheep <laughs> the help of the sheep sheep and chickens are awesome for weed control because they don't need workers comp or minimum wage <laughs> right. absolutely they just do it they just do it they just, just, eat, they just eat and that's it that's awesome so um how did you get into uh into the restaurant business um i'm competitive and my dad went into the restaurant <laughs> no i'm just kidding um my dad, funny story, uh, my dad and Woody Harrelson are, are friends and all, my aunt and his wife and every, we're family friends since I was like 13 or 14. Mm -hmm. And Woody Harrelson and my dad were on like a raw food kick for a while, like only vegan, only raw food. Like this was, whatever my dad's into, it's like he thinks that's the way, he's very didactic. And then mm -hmm. two years later, he's like a Buddhist or two years later, he's a Republican. And two years later, he's a Gnostic, you know, like that. So anyways, he was really into raw food at the time and so was Woody and they were doing like a raw food challenge. And I started making ice cream, raw ice cream out of like ground up nuts. And then my dad decided to open a raw food restaurant and I opened an ice cream shop. And In the same town? Nope, he was in San Francisco and I was in LA. And so he opened Cafe Gratitude and was doing Cafe Gratitude in San Francisco, which then eventually came to Los Angeles. And then I realized that vegan ice, raw vegan ice cream was like this narrow and you can't make money on a market that's this narrow. So right. I decided to open a vegan 
cooked food restaurant. And I met these guys that already had one and I partnered with them and then I ended up buying them out and then expanded and expanded. And my dad was doing Cafe Gratitude at the same time. So mm -hmm. it's kind of our family business, all these vegan restaurants. Mm -hmm. And then we grew up as farmers. My dad was a farmer when I was growing up. We, I grew up on a farm. And then my dad went back to farming in Vacaville. And then I ended up buying this place and had to relearn or re-remember farming again. Right. Um, and so my family business is for sure restaurants and for sure farming right. um, all the way uh, through. And my mom's a farmer in Hawaii as well. Oh, wow. And she has a restaurant that's kind of making fun of my dad's restaurant. It's only open one day a week and it's called Cafe Attitude. One day a week? <laughs> it, yeah, my Attitude and gratitude. Grati yeah, she's like, Cafe <laughs> Attitude, be grateful or get out. <laughs> and so she um, is, it's like a very hippie, like open mic one day a week kind of donation based gotcha. restaurant um and so but all of us are into land and mm -hmm. all of us are into restaurants and so um that's how it happened one as i said my life oh, one little thing led to another but my uh and when i started making that ice cream it wasn't until a couple years later my best friend had a baby and she was like we need to start a business i can't be an actress and have a baby you get paid and then no money for however long and so she was like we should remember that ice cream you used to make we should open an ice cream shop and that's how it all started. And did you always have a, a passion for regenerative or you didn't even know what it was or you stumbled into it? Stumbled or just... into it, didn't. There was a guy, Graham Sate, I highly recommend anybody who want, is interested in regenerative agriculture watches his TED talk, Graham Sate. How do you and spell that, S-A-T-E? It's not spelled like that, but I will get it for you and then you can put it up on the bottom of the screen. Right. I can't remember right now. But he's from New Zealand and it was unbelievable that I was like super liberal, super like bringing my bags to the grocery store, driving my hybrid, like thought I was doing everything right, eat, owning a vegan restaurant, like drinking my oat milk latte. Like I really thought like that, that I was on the path, but I was pretty apathetic that we were just going to burn up and it was going to be this terrible like end of days. And then someone pointed out like some super simple science about soil in such a accessible way that for the first time in I don't know how many years I had hope. Mm -hmm. And I was like, went out of the kitchen to every person I thought that had enough money and mm -hmm. just told them all about regenerative agriculture and told them they needed to buy a farm and I could bring all the compost from the restaurant, it will be amazing. <laughs> and then I realized like, oh, I'm the one I've been waiting for. I can't expect like the coach of the Clippers to buy a regenerative farm <laughs> or whatever right. actress is in today. Right. So I just started looking and it was, you know, my husband was undocumented at the time, so it was very hard for us to get a farm because no bank would approve us. And finally, uh, we found a piece of land with a desperate seller that had a 1031 exchange, and that's how we ended up with it this all, place. It all fit into place. Yeah, right, right place, right time. Right place, right time, and it was good for the seller, and it was really great for us, and I'm super grateful for that. Absolutely, and you're showing it in your results because you're growing way more than everybody else and producing tremendous amount of food 240 different um varieties are on my uh cpc or on my uh organic certification and you've got the food boxes going on oh yeah we're doing really great with the food boxes we're doing um delivering them all over ventura county and all over los angeles county and 
you could order this on our website, so Heart, you would just get fresh regenerative produce, no chemicals, no Roundup, no nothing, right to your door the same day or the day before it's picked. So it's just basically getting harvested and getting to your door. And a lot of the leafy greens and stuff, they may look really fresh when you see them at the grocery store, mm -hmm. but they are like packed with, you know, argon or different kinds of gas and to make them stay fresh, but they actually are losing nutrients over time. Right. And so it's really healthy to get our food right to your door like the day after it was harvested. Mm -hmm. And so um, that is awesome. And it's a great way for us to use all these different kinds of crops. And then people are surprised like, oh, we got canary melons this week. Oh, there's guavas this week. Oh, you, you, some of the staples are in there, but there's also stuff that's like, what is this? And yeah, it's, um, you can, there's going to be broccoli and celery and like, you know, whatever the staples of the season are, tomatoes and cucumbers in the season. Right. But yes, there's, and then there's different, you know, every once in a while there's dragon fruit or watermelons or whatever the different stuff is. Right. I'm still trying to get you to buy them for all your new clients after they close escrow. Yes. It's a nice box present you can send over. Nice. <laughs> and then so hard. Dot com. Dot com. Just sewaheart.com. Just sewaheart.com. Right. But you can and see you, all the different boxes and All the options, and, and we deliver it right to your door. You can add eggs. Oh, you can add eggs. Yeah. And that's anywhere in Ventura and Anywhere County. in Ventura, anywhere in Los Angeles. That's so awesome. It's an awesome service that we provide. So what, what are the challenges about harvesting hops? Well, the labor, but we've kind of figured that out with the volunteers and the different breweries contributing. But the other thing is it's just kind of comes at the same time of the year as our grapes and olives are right behind it. And so, you know, just, just our regular harvesting of everything. So it just kind of becomes five weeks of just nonstop seems like tedious harvesting and, right. and then you've got to get the wet hop like our own wet hop beer besides the other breweries has to be brewed right away and then the grapes have to be crushed and start fermenting right away and so there's you know a lot of different moving parts to this time of year right. and we also had to you know we have to bottle all the wine from last year and get it out of the fermenters and get them ready so there's a lot of different things uh at least in this climate, that kind of come ready at the same time. Right. So it's not necessarily a problem with harvesting hops, but if I was planning a farm in the future, I'm not sure that I would go so heavy on olives, hops, and grapes, right? because they all do kind of converge at the same, at the time. same time they all need to be harvested. And then are the, are the different breweries kind of making demands on you and saying, hey, Molly, we want so many pounds or tons this coming season because last year was so great is it kind of well, like starting to feel for the pressure? wet hops beer <coughs> the wet hops the pressure is we have to plant it with them because they have to it has to be picked the day before they brew wow. so then like today we picked for Poseidon and then yesterday we picked for Talco but so we have to pick a certain amount each day and then to make sure everybody has the wet hops and then the extra that we pick we put drying in the oast and then we'll pelletize it uh, for, and then be frozen in vacuum sealed bags for the rest of the year. But it's a little bit, it's nice to be able to sell the wet hops and do that, but it is, it, it used to be that we just used to harvest over kind of three or four days, nonstop long days, and we just pound it out. Right. But now we have to plan with the brewer schedule. And so we give them certain dates and months out and then we say these are the possible dates and you, they need to have a fermenter open right to be able to do it and have a recipe written and then they tell us okay my recipe calls for 50 pounds 100 pounds 500 pounds whatever and then we have to have that ready but if it's something we could only really harvest like 150 pounds a day 
And so if someone needs 300 pounds, then we need two days just to get their order done. Gotcha. And then we got to put argon gas or we have to put uh, nitrogen to keep them fresh and green for the two days to get them into the Right, thing. but you're letting them know, hey, in advance, be ready to come out and start picking. Yes, we have a whole, yeah, like a whole sign-up sheet and people have to tell us their brew date and then they pay in advance and then they get the re refunded money if they come out and pick. You're the only farmer that I know that has the client actually <laughs> picking themselves. That's pretty genius. Well, you know, early on, people just wanted to come out and take Instagram pictures. Sure. And I was like, that's cool. But <laughs> I, then, I pay, work. then I'm paying all these people overtime. And I we, we had like, I mean, the first year we did hops, I, I don't know. It was really pathetic. We had like $700 of hops and like 9000 in labor. It wasn't Oof. that much, but it was like 10 times. It might have been 7000 in labor because it was just like these long days and then the pelletizing. And, <laughs> and so we had to figure out a way to make it work for everybody. Right. And so that was the wet hops. It's a better deal for the farm because they're it's not. It's heavier because it's still wet, right. and then it's, um, and then it's getting used right away and all that. And so we it's, we can discount it to the to the brewery if they come help. Right. And so it does work out. It's a win 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 for everybody. Right. And I don't know. I think especially during COVID and everything, we now have a volunteer day. You can sign up on our website every other Sunday, and people come out and just weed or whatever. And you would think why would someone want to come and do manual labor for free? But I think like as we've gotten our whole day is on Zoom and right. our whole day is, is you know, on the phone and in our little box in our car driving Cubicle, down the whatever. freeway or yeah. whatever. <clears throat> it's nice to just be outside with people, hands in the soil. We make them a farm lunch with whatever's grow going off on the farm. And so I think more and more, not just breweries, I think more and more people are interested in an agro-tourism or agro-life. You know, sure. when you live in the city, I grew up on a farm. I've always been very closely connected to farms. But I think that people are completely disconnected uh, from food. People are yeah. completely They don't know how it's made. No, there's a quote like, uh, eating is an agricultural act. And so I, someone said that yesterday. And so I was like, wow, that's a profound thought. And I was like, not that. If you're the one harvesting the food, <laughs> it doesn't seem that profound. Right. But, um, you know, there, it, we, don't, we don't relate to food um, as an agricultural thing almost. It just like comes from the grocery store packed sure. in this. And so people want to know where their food comes from. Right. They want to know. Well, and I think that even at the grocery store, I mean, sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm guilty myself. It's like you look for the perfect shiniest fruit. And if it has one little blemish, which was, you know, perfectly fine, it was caused by maybe wind, you know, brushing against a stick or you something. You don't choose that one. You don't choose that one. And then it's like 40% or more is just kind of, you know, I had, away. I had a distillery call me and say that they wanted to buy organic lemons. And I said, sure. And then they said, okay, we only want this size and they all need to be perfect. And I was like, oh, I'm not the person for you to buy the lemons from. Why I, would they need that though? Because it's- They were using the, the outs. I, I mean, I don't know. They were using oh. the out the skin or whatever. And I, and I wrote back and I said like, oh, I appreciate that that's your needs. And I know that every business has different needs. And my business needs is to sell all of my lemons, no matter how they look. And I don't, I believe that they all taste delicious and they may have a blemish. They may have been scraped or whatever. 
but I'm going to sell all of them. So I would rather just sell them to my restaurants where they're going to take them all. And that actually had them realize their own thoughts. And they said, you know what? I, well, we still want them, well, even though they're going to be different sizes and going to be different looking, you know, right. things. But if you think about what, if you see a bit of lemons, you live in Ventura County, you've seen a bit of lemons. Yes. They're all different sizes. They're all different shapes. Right. But in the grocery store, they all are this perfect oval and they're right. this big and right. they have two nipples, but on either end. Right. But literally, that's only like 30% of lemons look like that. Right. Some of them look more like an orange. They're round, no nipples. Right. Some are, you know, some are flat on one side because they were leaning against a branch. But what happens to all those lemons? Like, they get turned into juice and the farmer gets paid less money for them. Like, and so I, I actually want to educate people that, like, we want to eat all the food. We want right. to eat whatever food there is out there. And that maybe the conversation that there's not enough food... Well, it's because we throw away a lot. Like right. it, we throw away a lot in our own houses yep. and we throw away a lot at the farm level to like just send out the perfect ones. Right. And so I think that that uh, needs to shift. But people are just, you know, it's not like people are bad or ignorant or wrong. It's just we've been so disconnected. I saw a tweet the other day that said, I don't know why everybody's so stressed out about people not planting corn and soy because of drought or too much rain this year when you can go to Kroger and buy anything you want. And people were making fun of her and people were retweeting it. Mm. But that person actually didn't have the idea that like everything that is at Kroger got grown somewhere <laughs> by somebody. Right. And like 70% of it probably had corn or soy in it as some ingredient. Right. But like there was there, there was no connection to right. like, well, why do people are worried about what farmers are doing? You could just go to the grocery store and buy it. Like that and everybody, you Duh. know, she got she got really made fun of, but it really just shows us how as humanity we've lost sight of you know mm -hmm. people will say to me oh organic does that mean that, that it's not from a factory well not organic things are not from a factory either right, right? they're right. all from a farm you yep. know of Absolutely. some version Absolutely. of a farm well this is a wonderful conversation and we gotta pick it up another again time. another time excellent but thank you molly Engelhart, for being our guest on this edition of farm talk we love having you thank you paul ward for coming here to sew a heart farm and putting up with my dogs here and Absolutely. Uh, joining us this afternoon. They're loving life, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, two rescue pit bulls. And we, of course, want to thank our sponsors again, the Escrow Hub and the Money Store. And be sure to tune in for our next episode and uh, follow us wherever you find your podcasts. And you can also watch us on YouTube. Thanks so much and join us next time. Bye.